We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we are here to continue on the roster breakdown, the depth chart overview as we move to the edge position, the pass rushers on the Giants roster. Oh boy, what a difference it is just looking at this roster from one year to the next. Going even back to last year before Lorenzo Carter went down with an injury and comparing it to what we see now, the potential, the upside, some of it realized, some of it, most of it not realized yet and will have to be realized this year if the Giants want to rise that top five defense that we believe they can be, we believe they should be. And so we're going to talk a lot about those players today. Before we do that, Nick, I wanted to ask you, uh, instead of asking you how's your day today, I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to ask you, as a native of New Jersey and as an Italian person with Italian heritage darker skin so you were kind of in that Sicily range I bet I bet you're you have like that dark almost like Middle Eastern look to you I'm very Middle Eastern looking. you have a Middle Eastern look to you and as I've said over time and any Jew who listens to this podcast will probably understand this reference and at least kind of some of you may feel this way Obviously, for those of you who know Jewish heritage, you know that there are Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazi Jews are the ones who hail from, you know, Poland, Russia, the Eastern, the cold-ass Eastern European countries. Most of us whose ancestors had to flee during the Holocaust. I am an Ashkenazi Jew, both sides, my family, both of my parents' side, And so I have this pale, it's not even that pale, like as you've noticed in the, have you noticed that? You tan well for I tan much better than you'd think. For for like a... For an Ashkenazi Jew, I tan pretty well, but during the winter, I'm really white. And I've always wanted to be a Sephardic Jew, Nick. I've always wanted to be from the Sephardic range, the ones that are darker skinned, kind of in that Sicily, Middle Eastern range. I feel like the Jews and Italians have a lot in common. Those like those those Italians, those Jews, the ones from like in that Middle Eastern range down south there. Absolutely, yeah. And so anyway, as an Italian, I don't know how we got off onto that tangent, but as an Italian, as a native of New Jersey, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite Italian deli meat? Because I have a strong take on this, Ooh. and I'm curious where you're going. Okay, so if I'm going to go over all the Italian deli meats, I mean, I think stuff like salami, pepperoni, those are like more traditional stuff that like I had as a kid because it was, you know, cheaper. Mm. But, you know, you go with a, a good piece of gabagool or okay. or uh, just some of that um, really exotic type of ham, pork, 
that that's very hard to to overlook and you yes. know on christmas my mom would actually have some Ooh. of those and she would make a gigantic antipasta salad for nice. everybody and i'm not even 100 percent sure which type of ham it was but every time i had it was a prosciutto it was it was just really really uh i was like wow this is really good and then you know a whole year would go by i wouldn't have it and then christmas would roll around and i'd be like oh okay cool more of this so i would have to go with one of those types of hams okay i think you're spot on my take is prosciutto i think prosciutto is the one one i like abagoo i just call it capicola but i, I yeah, like it is that because of a card game capicola is that why uh, no, I think that's what it's called, right? Or is that just how it's spelled? Um, it might be, yeah. Yeah, I think that's there's, just how it's spelled. There's this, uh, it might not be cards, it might be dominoes. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah. I guess it's gabagoo, but I don't feel, we- I feel, I always feel weird pronouncing it. Like, and I'm in a deli, like, Fiori's, have, and anyone who's listened to this podcast, I hope you've experienced Fiori's in Hoboken. Arguably the best, and I'm going to say it, mozzarella, or mozzarella, I don't even know, but I don't, I never, I always feel weird being like, give me the moots, you know, like, oh, I'm yeah. not Italian, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't like doing those Italian words, I don't like that, hey, it just feels weird coming from me, but the Fiori's, oh my god, best, best mozzarella you'll ever have, and they do, the roast beef dip with the mozzarella, it's like they're special on Saturdays, it used to be on Saturdays, <sighs> my god, it's the best sandwich maybe in this state. I, I gotta try it then, yes. possibly. You will never me. eat that. Me, you would me. never Cheat eat days. that. Cheat days. The bread <laughs> dunked in that uh, gravy, uh, you would yeah, never probably eat probably that. Probably not. But I also say it's like mo- a cheat week for you. Mozzarella, to be honest. Yeah. I don't like sometimes if I'm feeling really Italian, I'll say like mozzarella, but like it's <laughs> it's so fake and like contrived for me. For to, me, like, it's even that. worse when I say it. I yeah. Even worse. I feel like my dad will do that sometimes. I'm like, Dad, shut up, man. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, but definitely shout out to Fiori's. Shout out to Marie's in Livingston, New Jersey. That is a low-key one of the best Italian delis that nobody knows about. She does it out of her house. Or no, it's not called Marie's. That's another place that I'm thinking about in, in actually in Chatham, which is actually pretty solid. Wow, I'm actually forgetting the place. If anyone who listens to the podcast grew up in the West Orange Livingston area and remembers the deli, oh, Tutto Fresco, I think it's called Tutto Fresco in Italian. In I'm sorry, in Livingston, right by that Starbucks, right by that bank. She works out of her house, and that oh my god, she makes a chicken cutlet there that's so unbelievably good. And it's fresh bread with her fresh moats That's like not Fiori's level, but that next level. And I, I started going there so often when I used to work in the area, and I would go there once or twice a week, and she got to know me. And she's really funny because she I think her name might be Marie. I think that's where it comes from. And she's really funny because she's really fresh with her customers, which I, I fucking love. I love that type <laughs> of thing. She's super fresh with them. She'll like give you lip. You better know your order. You better not waste her time. And so I actually had a unique custom order that I would get there. So I would order her chicken so she had a bunch of sandwiches on the menu one was like chicken cutlet with mozzarella roasted red peppers and balsamic or something like that and i would make my own sandwich chicken cutlet mozzarella and prosciutto and i would ask her this and the first time i asked her she was like taken back for a second like she didn't know how to react because like in her mind i think at the time she's like this is actually a pretty good idea and now a lot of delis do this by the way this was like 10 years ago when delis weren't doing i'm not saying i invented this by the way let me just make <laughs> that clear but i will say that delis have been doing that chicken cutlet prosciutto uh, mozzarella sandwich now a lot more than i ever used to see it when i ordered it i don't remember ever seeing it she's first taken back she's like 
I think that, and I feel like in her head, she was processing it like, this is a pretty good idea, but I don't like when anyone tells me something to order that's not on my menu, you know? She was like very strict, yeah. this is my menu, this is what you get, and she did it. She did it that one time, she's like, I see her like, I'm not sure if I want to do this, she did it. And then that became my go-to order, and she knew it when I walked in, she's like, I know what you're getting, like, she you have na- it ready. She should have named it the Schneier. She should have named it, the, like, like, in Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah. with Larry David yeah, exactly, Sandwich, exactly. Whitefish, Capers, yeah. and, and then something else <laughs> disgusting. But yeah. Speaking it, of, you were just talking about how she was a bit like, you know, she had sass to her oh, and how that was cool. Have you ever heard of Dick's Last Resort? No. It's a restaurant. It's in, it's in a couple different locations across the United States where the, the staff is like overly obnoxious and they kind of roast you as they take their order. It's it, I haven't been <laughs> there, great. but I know there was one in Myrtle Beach that a lot of my friends used to go to it and it just sounded so freaking funny. I love for people to go there not knowing the shtick and then like be offended. That Those are the people that I want to experience. I want to be sitting at a table <laughs> next to those people who are like offended not knowing the shtick and like acting like all out because of it. Those are the people that I like to observe. That would be a, an awesome like uh, TikTok or Twitter moment if yes. you got that on recordings. Like, these guys have no idea. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's talk Giants football. Enough of the food. Go out there. Get Tuto Fresco in Livingston. Get Fiori's. Have yourself a sandwich. Uh, anywhere. Italian delis in New Jersey are the one of the best parts about this state in my mind. I am a huge fan of them. But Giants football, it's coming back. Pass rushers. Let's start the way we've started all these positional previews, the overviews of the depth chart, by on a scale of 1 to 10, rank where you would rank the Giants' edge position and pass rushers overall on the edge versus the rest of the NFL. And give me your ranking heading into 2021, and then after you're done with that, Nick, double back and rank how you viewed the roster heading into last season. Yeah, so I'm going to say... I thought about going 5, but I may go with 4 just because some of the more intriguing players here are rookies going into their first year in the NFL. And I still find I still hold out this hope for Lorenzo Carter. But coming off of an Achilles injury, that is a serious, serious injury to overcome. So I'm going to go with four. Heading into last year, it legit might have been a, I would say, two, I, maybe three, just because you had Lorenzo Carter, who was healthy. You had O'Shane Zimenez, who a lot of us were high on. doesn't seem like his skill set translate as well to what... Patrick Graham wants to do on defense, specifically on those early downs, but he's still an interesting piece as well. So I would say the Giants have definitely, certainly improved in this season with the additions of Aziz Ojolari, Ryan Anderson, Ifidio Denebo, and then obviously Ellerson Smith as well. But the, Lorenzo Carter coming back, I'm not going to give it too much of a difference. So I'll say a two from last year and a four from this year. I think that's fair. I'll go with four five four point five for this year, heading into twenty twenty. Bringing in decimals? Oh yeah, I always bring a decimal. <laughs> I don't think you should rate anything without a decimal. Okay, okay. I'm not a big fan. Of it. I'm using the Dave Portnoy scale where you gotta throw in a decimal. Okay, I respect it. Okay, so anyway, I'm gonna go four or five for this year, but I think that it's more based on the depth that they've added and the fact that they have multiple pieces they can throw in there. Especially Denebo, who I really like, we'll get into. Who I think is a nice rotational piece, and I know he'll line up sometimes on the inside, but I think he'll be mix and match there in that regard. And so I'm giving it a 4.5 with a lean toward the depth. I still don't think they have a proven top-end one-on-one pass rusher on this roster. I think Aziz Ojolari, and I don't want to spoil this, could be that this year. I'm less, I'm more skeptical on Lorenzo Carter as you've looked over time in the NFL. Players coming off the Achilles injury have been a shell of themselves. I would say one of every 10 players have worked out coming off the Achilles. Most have had their careers sap. Jimmy Graham's the best example that comes to mind. Used to be a game-altering tight end, somebody who could transcend the game from a tight end standpoint. Came back off that Achilles, was 
totally a different player. Didn't even look like himself out there. Can't even move on the field. He's still a red zone threat because he's six foot eight, and you just like lob it up to him, and he makes the play. But he's no longer the player he was. So I think what we've seen in recent years is players doing better off the Achilles. Obviously, sports medicine improves every year. So that's a good thing. We saw it with Emmanuel Sanders, who was at an advanced age when he tore his Achilles and yet came back pretty close to what he was before that Achilles. He's like the anomaly. He is more of an anomaly, especially with the age. He was like 31 when he did it. It was ridiculous. It is kind of weird that that happened. But Aziz is much younger. So I'm sorry. Lorenzo is much younger. So I think it's definitely possible for Carter to come back off of this. But I have to be skeptical. Like you said, filled with rookies. Philbert O'Shane, who had an injured year, even Adenabo is is a bit player heading into this season. So it's five guys that I like and see upside with really all of the five. But so I like the depth. But four five, even like I think it could even be like a three five. Honestly, if we're being more honest about it, there's such a wide range where this edge group can go. But ultimately, it's like we can put a grade on these guys. We can put a number on how it compares to the rest of the NFL. But that's not genuine in my mind to what it means to the Giants. Why is that? Because it's not like the Giants are running some strict 4-3 defense where they need these guys to win one-on-one over and over and over in the passing game. They're running a unique defense where we saw last year they finished 12th in sacks despite having one of the worst edge groups in the NFL, if not the worst. Actually, I would be hard-pressed to find a worse edge group than what the Giants are trotting out there for most of the season last year to the point where they lost Lorenzo Carter, they lost Fackro for a period, they lost a Jim, uh, Shane Eximinens for a period. So there were times where they had, like you said, David Mayo out there. That wasn't often, but at times. And even guys like Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, who really ultimately shouldn't be playing edge in your defense. And yet they found a way to finish 12th in sacks because a lot of this pressure was schemed up. And if Adoree Jackson is as good as we think he can be in this defense, if, you know, Aaron Robinson makes an impact in year one, if the safeties play up to their level in year one, or I'm sorry, in year two for a lot of these guys, like uh, Xavier McKinney, but if all those things come true and they can rely on that man coverage in the back end, they can do even more creative things with the rest of the guys to generate pressure. So ultimately, as it relates to the Giants, I'm not too worried about how they stack up against the NFL because this is a unique defense that's not relying on these one-on-one guys, these guys to win one-on-one. Yeah, and schemed up pressure isn't just the stunts and the twist. It's married to what's going on in the secondary. Right. And Patrick Graham ran a ton of trap type of coverages to bait backside throws into throwing into basically like a robber position where Logan Ryan was coming down to try to take that in-breaking route, whether it be a slant or a dig. And a lot of the times where some of these quarterbacks would go to the backside, they'd see one-on-one coverage, they liked the leverage, and the leverage was put there on purpose to try to provide him to go inside and bait him, bait the quarterback to throwing to where Logan Ryan was going to be. You could see there were a couple sacks. One comes to mind was Brandon Allen against, uh, and again, this is a Brandon Allen. He's not traditionally a starting quarterback, but still it was a great play. It was a three-by-one set. That one receiver, he had leverage inside. Brandon Allen looks that way, goes to throw. Logan Ryan just darts down from a two-high, basically just trapping. And then Brandon Allen, lucky for him, tucked the ball and then just ate a sack. And there are times where that happens because the secondary is so diverse with their coverages, especially with those safeties, because you never really know what they're going to do, whether it's that Tampa 2 robber, which we've seen Logan Ryan play well when he intercepted Alex Smith to secure the second Washington victory for the New Mm -hmm. York Giants. And then that allows these pass rushers and these interior defensive line guys to have a bit more time to get home. And those things are married together. Now we may see a little bit more man coverage, but I don't think it's just going to be strict 
strict you know cover one there's going to be a lot of man match there's going to be a lot of different type of principles that are going to be within this Patrick Graham defense and they're going to be called in a in a manner that's not I feel like going to be predictable because you can still rely on the zone coverage that you had a lot of success with in 2020 so I'm looking forward to seeing what what will exactly happen and also Aziz Ojolari I mean that's getting a, a prime a potentially prime pass rusher. I don't think he's going to be that in year one, but it's definitely better than anybody the Giants trotted out there after the Lorenzo Carter injury last year. And even before the Lorenzo Carter injury, he's just a much better pass rushing prospect than Lorenzo Carter. And not prospect, but a much more refined pass rusher heading into the NFL than Carter was heading into the NFL. Yes, yes. Lorenzo Carter, I feel like, had and has potentially in the injury, but more upside because I, th- I feel like he... This is athleticism. Because of that just rare athletic yeah. ability, he may have more bend, which I'm not sure will still mm. be there after the injury, but Aziz Ojolari has that one prime move, and he can build off that one prime move. He, right. he, he really can, and once he does, you're looking at a more complete type of pass rusher, has that low leverage being six foot two, has those incredibly long arms, so the upside is there for him. The Giants got him after trading back twice in the second round, which is awesome. Yeah. And I want to unpack on and expand on a couple things you mentioned there before we move on. So I want to start with what you said about that, just an example that you brought from last season with Brandon Allen when the Giants faced the Bengals. And that was, you know, he sees that one, he sees that leverage, he wants to make that throw, but the Giants have the robber driving down with Logan Ryan. And I think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but I really feel that when the Giants put all that type of, all those different coverages on tape, all those trap type coverages, it starts to make the quarterback, especially a younger quarterback, and the Giants will face several young quarterbacks this season, second guess what they're seeing. And when they're second guessing what they're what they're seeing, they're processing things slow, more slowly. And when they're processing things more slowly, it leads to more pressures and more sacks for the defense. It absolutely does. And that's what the Giants relied on last year because they didn't have that blue goose type of pass. Mm-hmm. They had no one even of the sort. And then you talk about the stunts and the twists that Dan and I have brought up plenty of times on the podcast I mean they're those are exotic the way they will bring their uh, you know the overhang defender in on the blitz and their five-man pressure packages or the inside linebacker they disguise it well they sugar the a gap like three separate times before that throughout the game bail into coverage and then the one time they don't they'll align uh, they'll line one defensive side to kind of draw the center in that direction. Sugar the A-gap, like, okay, the Giants have done that several times. And by sugaring the A-gap, I mean basically Blake Martinez is going to walk into the A-gap, act like he's going to blitz, but then he bails, and then he bails, and then he bails. And then that one time he doesn't bail and he's not really accounted for, he's going to have a free run at the quarterback, which we saw with Tay Crowder against the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson as well. So the the way Graham calls this defense really, really maximizes its potential and that's something that i feel like at the end of this season patrick graham could be that hot name that people are really looking to hire especially if the offense can really carry the weight because if this team is successful they're going to start really looking into the coaching staff now a defensive coordinator on a six and you know 11 team no one's going to be that interested in that but the offense can mount wins and this be an 11 and 6 team and patrick graham i mean he says he wants to be a new york giant uh, assistant coach and he got that assistant head coaching role but eventually he may you know move on to greener pastures as a head coach and he certainly showed potential of that in 2020 yeah he's a hot name we'll see what happens there a lot depends on how the Giants finish this season I would think absolutely and it also depends on what he wants to do and I think it's so funny because there's so many things in the NFL that repeat themselves like Mike Zimmer made a career 
and he's obviously now he's been the coach of the Vikings for a while and he's ran some until last year he's ran some really top end defenses and then he had a really good run with the Bengals without much talent because Mike Brown doesn't give you free agent dollars to spend so and he's made such a career of like a lot of his defense is just pressure up the A gap and I love A-gap pressure. It's one of my favorite things as a as an analyst to watch. It's one of my favorite. I think I believe if I was ever a defensive coordinator, which I never would be, I would pressure the A-gap a ton. I think it's a great way to make a living in the NFL. It's something Spags did a little bit during his time with the Giants. I remember Kiwanuka was really good in that role, pressuring the A-gap. And I like that the Giants have worked it into their game plan with Patrick Graham, where it's not always pressuring the A-gap, but like I said, sugaring the A-gap, making it seem like the pressure's coming, bailing, bailing, but then using it, and then, but then one time sending it when they're not expecting it you get the sack you get the pressure and i just feel like use, utilizing a gap pressure is really important in the nfl and something that i've seen over and over like again zimmer zimmer made it a big part of his defense but you don't have to you can do it in the way you just described like how patrick graham does it and as we move on before we get to like individual breakdowns i did want to unpack one other thing you mentioned a couple uh you know a couple turns ago which we can also talk a little bit more about when we get to the secondary but you we, we there's been a lot of talk this offseason about how the giants ran a lot of zone last year which they did and how we expect them to run a lot more man this year which seems likely because first of all they've mentioned it when they drafted Aaron Robinson, they talked about how you have to run a lot more man to win in the NFL. Patrick Graham mentioned that, I believe, and also the scouts and Gettleman and uh, I'm forgetting who. Chris Pettit. Chris Pettit also made mention to that. But you said we don't, and I think you're right, I don't think it's going to be like, it, it. this is almost like the 4-3-3-3-4 type debate to me. You know, a lot of NFL fans are like, we run a 4-3, we run a 3-4, when reality is most defenses aren't running either for most of the snaps. Most defenses have five defensive backs on the field for the vast majority of their snaps, and the Giants are certainly one of those defenses. So to me, it's similar to like, it's not like the Giants are going to run only zone or man. So one thing you mentioned was man match. So why don't you break down exactly from the start what man match coverage is, how the Giants might use it in 2021? So you can unpack an entire podcast on man match, but essentially it's just you're going to be matching. You know what? I'll cut you off there. If we could do a podcast on it, we should do a podcast on it. So let's table this one. As we get to the secondary, maybe we'll do it there or we'll do it as a bonus episode. Just it breaking down a, coverages. A, bon- a bonus episode. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if you're listening to Big Boo Banter Podcast now and you're a regular listener or if you're a new listener or a lone time, one time listener, whatever you may be. Hit us up in the DMs. Let us know if you like those or if you're interested in hearing those kind of podcasts where we break down things like man-match coverage or what zone coverage is or what press-man coverage is or on the flip side, what a three-by-one set is and things of that nature. Any of the terms we use, any of the terminology that we riff off of during any of these podcasts, offense or defense, if you want to learn more from those X's and O's schematic standpoint, let us know and we'll do podcasts on those as well. Absolutely. We'll be getting into route distribution and divider lines and a bunch of stuff that you don't hear about on when you're watching football broadcast but it's the nitty-gritty to these types of defenses if you're interested let us know so until then we'll transition a bit get to some of these individual breakdowns of the players so it's a wide open depth chart i feel like at the top so you can really start anywhere start with the player you expect to kind of be the alpha of this edge rush group and i'm interested to hear you may think that is um, and then break him down a little bit like we've talked about several times, Dan, that like there isn't necessarily one blue goose. It's it's really a team. 
here with the New York Giants. There isn't a Chase Young. There isn't a player like that. But if I had to select an alpha going into this season, I still may go with Lorenzo Carter. And I know that's a huge risk, but we've seen positive videos coming out of him rehabilitating from the injury. It seems like he you know, is probably going to be ready for the season, which is excellent because he was injured in week five against the Dallas Cowboys. And a lot of injuries in that game. Zach Prescott was injured in that game as well. And it's a devastating injury, but this is a 25-year-old who had incredible athletic ability and potential. And I feel like he would be perfect for this Patrick Graham scheme because he's really, really good at defending the run, at spilling and setting the edge, spilling everybody outside to those secondary force defenders. And he also has that potential to rush the pass or string pass rushing moves together. A little bit raw in that area. We saw him flash in 2019 against the Patriots, bending the edge, showing really, really impressive flexibility in his lower half. Can't speak to if that's going to still be there after this injury. But if it is, I, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Lorenzo Carter. I think he might be the one I'm most intrigued to watch, but Aziz Ojolari could easily step up in his rookie season. So I'm just going with the Georgia Bulldogs here, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'll start, I guess, with Aziz. I really do feel like Aziz is going to be the 1-1 alpha this year, in part because Lorenzo's coming off of that Achilles. If you look at it last year, though, Lorenzo had a really strong opening game performance against the Steelers in a game where the Giants... We're able to play pretty well defensively, all things considered, in my mind, considering how often they were on the field, because the offense didn't really move the ball for large portions of that game. I know they had the long drive that resulted in the Daniel Jones rollout red zone interception where he kind of just threw the ball up there. Bad play call, bad play design, also a horrific decision by Jones. Combo of those things. But he was on the field for, what, 63 snaps? That's a lot of snaps. And was really strong. Like like you said, he's really good in the run game, Carter. He had four run stops. I don't know if that'll go away. I'm more worried about that edge bend and that potential we've always seen in him as a pass rusher. Because now he'll be entering year four of his NFL career. And he hasn't really, like even in those first four games before the injury, he didn't really put it all together as a pass rusher by any means. I believe he had one sack in those games and he had a total of seven pressures total in those first four games before the Dallas game and so seven pressures in four games is nothing to write home about I don't think um ultimately it's not the upside we expected or hoped for based on his pure athleticism and there's so much more that goes into being a pass rusher than just being athletic and just having that initial burst off the snap which is why I put Aziz Ojolari kind of in that one one spot because of a few factors I mean one he already has a really good pass rush move that probably and most likely will translate right away to the NFL. That's not a guarantee. Again, it's not going to work against every tackle. He's going to face some tackles that he's never seen anywhere close to that level, even in the SEC, guys who just are so much more advanced. But it should translate immediately, in my mind, in some games. He's also somebody who is a pretty damn good athlete. Yes, he doesn't have the same kind of natural bend and burst as a Carter or some of these high-end NFL prospects, but he's a solid athlete as well. And I also just feel like he's a perfect cookie cutter fit for Graham's system, for how they generate pressure, for the different ways they can generate pressure, for a two-man game early on with someone like Leonard Williams. So I'm going to put him in the alpha one one spot, and I really have high expectations for Aziz in year one. I do too. I'm excited for Aziz Ojolari. And I will say that Patrick Graham used Lorenzo Carter. There was a reason why he, he only rushed the passer 90 times. So he had a eight, you know, eight, total pressures until he got injured but he was dropping the coverage several times as well which is something that 
Patrick Graham expects of a lot of his edge rushers, especially to the boundary flat area. They'll line up on the line of scrimmage like they're coming, and then they'll just bail and try to get underneath that number one receiver out towards the sideline. Kyler Fackrell did a solid job he doing that. He did a solid that. job of that. Aziz Ojolari. Do you think that will change, though, this year based on the talent they have in the secondary? Do you think you see any changes with regards to that? How often these guys are asked to really drop into those flat zones? I think when they run like a cover three to mm-hmm. the boundary and they just want somebody to drop to the flat and they're doing other things with their overhang defenders in their secondary, I think that you'll still see that every now and again. I don't think it's going to be But if they're not going to run as much cover three, which we probably would agree, both agree on, they're probably not going to, right? Um, it's hard to say. To yeah, be you still honest. think they will. Run yeah, I think they'll. Well. I think they'll definitely mix it in. No, no, no. Obviously, they'll mix yeah. it in. But last year, they were running so much yes. of it. Yes, It's so, hard to imagine they could repeat at that level. Yes, and again, like it, it, we we speak like cover three and, and like these Madden terms, like it's yeah, a yeah. blanket, like spot drop all the time. It's they do those things, but there's also a lot of principles built in to mm-hmm. those coverages. It's not just as vanilla as when you click like cover three sky or cover three cloud and on madden you know yeah but it's easy it's good to use those terms anyway because they're i think largely applicable to most people's football knowledge absolutely i, I would agree with that but yeah. aziz ojalari he dropped in the coverage as well last year 46 times so he's capable and i feel like he was athletic enough when he saw him mm-hmm. maneuver and move in space and kind of backpedal and get to landmarks yeah they wouldn't have drafted him otherwise i don't think if they didn't feel that way yeah i would agree now ellerson smith somebody i don't feel like he did that all that mm-hmm. often but he was also playing at an fcs program and he was far superior than all of his teammates so why not just have him pin his ear but ears back and get rushing plus he's just like a longer bigger guy i can also see ellerson smith kicking inside me too uh, on a lot of passing situations yeah. you kind of align him as a three technique and pass shoot yeah just have him kind of penetrate get up field command maybe a double team bring a stunt around him he could be the penetrator he could be the looper i think he has both of those yeah. within his uh his skill set to be honest but I love the combination of Lorenzo Carter and Zizo Jolari. And if Carter is ready for week one, do you think that is the de facto starting group? Yeah, if he's ready for week one, will they put out there Aziz and Lorenzo? I think it's likely, based on a lot of what you mentioned earlier, that Lorenzo they can already trust in the run game. And then Aziz on the flip side, they might not need to rely on him as much in the run game. And not that they can't trust him there. I think he's capable. He showed that at Georgia. And obviously that was part of what made him... The prospect he was, and again, he only dropped to the Giants because of the, because it was a COVID season, another COVID offseason. They didn't have much infer- injury information. None of these teams had much inf- injury information. Like most of these teams in a normal offseason will get these guys in with their team doctors and they'll be able to make their own distinction. Instead, with guys like Jeremiah Usukarmoa, who we liked but dropped all the way into the mid 50 to the Browns. And Aziz Ojolari, guys with some injury concerns, they just dropped. And they may end up being nothing. Like, these injury concerns may not be nothing. Remember Maurice Hurst? Like, there's guys who have just dropped, like, seven rounds because of injury concerns. And it hasn't impacted them at all at the next level. It's just, like, kind of like a thing where it's, like, it's like a high-variance thing, I feel like, these guys with injury concerns coming into the draft. Yeah, Hurst, though, it was a heart. Same, yeah. same as Montez Sweat, it was a heart issue. So some teams, like, they're just going to stray away and kind of be risk-averse with, with that. Oh, I'm not saying it's the wrong play by these teams. I'm just no, saying know, it's like there's such a high variance to it because Montez Sweat, this hasn't impacted his career at all no, yet, and that could, and that's the variance. Like, at some point, maybe it could. But to me, it's like those concerns to me are less than the character concerns. Those are the big ones. Those are the ones you want to stray from. Before we break down any other individual edge rushers on this pass rushing group, we're going to take a quick break to your word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Nick. Let's dive right back into this. Let's talk a little bit more individually about these players. Maybe let's turn the page to Oshana Zimnens, who feels like he's a little bit lost in the mix right now, at least from the buzz, the offseason buzz. Only played 110 snaps last season, which is partially why I think he's lost in the buzz. Only 56 snaps rushing the passer. Not much of a sample size there at all. It's almost like a wasted second season, really, for the former third-round pick who was collected, uh, a draft pick that was collected in the Odo Beckham Jr. trade way back. So what do you make of Eugene heading into year three in a system that he ultimately wasn't drafted into? Like Patrick Graham wasn't here when the Giants drafted O'Shane. They were still drafting him. They were still drafting for Betcher's defense. So what do you make of him heading into year three? So he's coming off this shoulder injury, and hopefully he can be ready as well. But he could be somebody who gets kind of lost in the sauce here. And he had a productive 2019 season. He had 25 pressures, six sacks, according to Pro Football Focus, who do not use decimals with their sacks, Dan, Pro Football Focus. <laughs> and Well, uh, decimals for a rating system. I'm not saying it needs to be used for sacks. I think .5 sacks are, are important. Oh, well, yeah, important also, that is weird. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, on a separate note, I agree with that. It is weird. But Lorenzo Carter, he had 35 pressures in 2019, six sacks in his rookie season, 29 pressures, four sacks. So he, he had that that baseline and that potential that we kind of saw materialize on the football field. O'Shane Zimenez, we saw it a little bit in 2019, but I don't know if his skill set's as translatable to Pat, what Patrick Graham wants to do. He's not somebody who drops into coverage all that often. He's more of a pin your ears back, rush the passer. I'm quick. I can shoot gaps. I can get to the half man and use my hands effectively to win at the point of attack. But ask me to run block. You ask me to take on those, those pullers and power gap schemes. It's not going to be as effective. He's not going to squeeze technique like someone like Lorenzo Carter is going to do. You know, lower that center of gravity like we talked with Aziz Ojolari. He could do it really, 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 really well. Take on that blocker, absorb that contact, keep the rushing lane narrow, and then allow your teammates to kind of come in and make the tackle. That's not necessarily O'Shane Zimenez's game. And you know what? The Giants brought in players who could do that. They brought in Ryan Anderson. They brought in Odenabo who could do it. You know, Aziz Ojolari can do it. Ellerson Smith, this is still a little bit questionable, but Ellerson Smith arguably is a more athletic and longer version of O'Shane Zimenez if we're kind of going to look at it from like a lazy point of view. So I think those snaps of like a pass rushing specialist may go to Ellerson Smith over someone like an O'Shane Zimenez. So I think he'll make the roster, and and I'm still intrigued by him. But you know, he hasn't played since week four last year. Had a shoulder injury. 
only played he played what 19 snaps in week two against Chicago and then he played a lot of snaps against San Francisco but a lot of that was in garbage time as well when they were just running the football and they were down by you know 15 20 points or whatever it was in that second half of that game so I'm I don't know what to make of O'Shane Zimenez right now I don't know how many snaps he's going to earn and I, I hope he gets a legitimate shot but I mean drafted Ellerson Smith for a reason yeah it's interesting when it comes to O'Shane I think that if you were asked me, like, what could be the biggest surprise potential cut from this roster, I would probably say his eminence. I don't think there's any other bigger surprise potential. Nothing you'd be surprised by. Like, I don't see any way Sterling Shepard gets cut. I don't see any way Darius Slayton gets cut. And then there's not too many other surprises. Like, I guess, like, I don't know. Like, Sam Beal would be no surprise. Yeah. Nate Solder would be no surprise. There's no other real surprises, but if you're asking me what potential surprise cut could happen, he's top of the list because he wasn't drafted by this regime. They've added a ton of talent around him, even just in the sense of a Denebo, the two rookies, and maybe Ryan Anderson. Like, maybe they like Ryan Anderson. Maybe they see Anderson as a better fit for their system than O'Shane Zimnant. Maybe they like what Cam Brown offers on specials so much that they can't afford to cut him from the roster. Maybe they like what Carter Coughlin offers so much they can't afford to have cut him from the roster. So if you're asking me for a big surprise, it would be O'Shane. And I'm not saying that will happen. Again, a surprise pick means it's unlikely. Let's please keep the context in mind. But so don't quote me on this or anything like that. But <laughs> I think it's possible. And I think this is a massive training camp for O'Shane. He has to, he, after a wasted 20 rookies, uh, so, sorry, sophomore season, not his fault at all. But the reality is it was purely basically a wasted sophomore season. He finished with three total pressures, zero sacks, zero, uh, two quarterback hits, 110 snaps total. I mean, he has a lot to prove this training camp, and it's going to be a big one for him. It certainly will be, and he has a lot of competition around him now. And we, you brought up Ifedi Odenabo, who is a different, much different type of player than O'Shane Zimenez. But what, what do you think his impact could be on this roster? Yeah, he's an interesting player and a potential. Bre- I don't want to say breakout for the Giants, but I think he could be a lot better than people realize. Last year, he had 42 pressures and 11 quarterback hits. Like That is a big deal to put together those numbers when you're only rushing the passer for, what, 432 snaps. I mean, 42 pressures and 432 snaps with 11 quarterback hits. That's big-time stuff. That's good. Those are really strong numbers. That puts you in the top 10 15% of all, like, edge rushers i would imagine on a per snap basis i mean his pass rushing grade according to pro football focus was just below 70 which is you know well above average according to their grades and that obviously factors in how many snaps they had to rush the passer so i think he can be a low-key sneaky good piece in this defense i'm extremely excited about him he can play inside he can play outside for them he wasn't a high draft pick obviously he didn't have a great combine that doesn't matter though it ultimately doesn't matter he's worked hard He's worked his butt off in the NFL to become a better player. And I think he's still at the age of, what, 27? He could just be coming into his own late. You're talking about someone who can line up as a wide, like, nine type of rusher. Somebody who can line up as a five technique off the outside shoulder of the tackle, four eye inside of the tackle, three tech outside of the guard. And on those passing situations, you can kick him to a two tech if you want to utilize that for some sort of pressure scheme, a two eye, a one tech. So he has a lot of different things that he can fulfill, has great leverage built into his body because he's only barely six foot three 258 pounds packs a punch has heavy hands this isn't some there's a reason he was signed to a one-year 2.5 million dollar deal the vikings as dan said before with mike zimmer's defense they were hurt a lot last year 
and Daniil Hunter wasn't there. They ended up trading Yannick Ngakwe, who they traded for earlier in the season. So it opened up a lot of opportunity for Odenabo. But this guy's not going to be overly relied upon in this defense. He's going to be more of a situational type player. And I feel like he can fulfill that role excellently and better than what Kyler Fackrell did last year for the Giants. And I think the role will be a little bit more different. I think Odenabo will be a little bit more interior, whereas Fackrell was a little bit more on the edge all the time. But I'm, I'm excited for that addition, especially when you look at the contract. Yeah, it seems like it could be an excellent value play for the Giants in 2021. Let's talk a little bit about what makes you so excited for Aziz Ojolari heading into year one, you specifically. And I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about him. We talked about him on the draft podcast, but just to go over it for any new listeners who weren't with us during draft season. Easy. He has one dominant pass rushing move that had high success rate, a high success rate in the SEC, which is arguably one of the best colleges college divisions it is the best conference without yeah, a doubt i don't yeah, think it's an conference argument. i should say division yeah i don't think so either but you know you gotta throw it in there he has multiple games of him mounting multiple pressures and impacting the game significantly he came up huge in a lot of big spots forcing fumbles he did that after james hudson got kicked out of the cincinnati game where he secured that win for the georgia bulldogs in their bowl game and he got five uh, three sacks five pressures in that specific game and also the other Georgia pass rusher also was kind of taking advantage of that offensive line too but it's neither here nor there his tape against Alabama was solid his tape against a lot of these other top programs was solid and he just continuously got pressure with that chop dip your inside shoulder win the edge bend through contact move and I think there's just a lot of room to grow because he had so much success with that one move but there's so much other things he can develop, the counter game, inside spin game, yeah. all these things. I'd love, like I said before, the leverage and the length, the pop, the strength against the run. I just think he is one of the more complete edges that we've kind of received coming out of the draft in a while, to be honest, because yeah. Lorenzo Carter was a little bit raw. And Matthias Kiwanuka, you go back, I mean, that's going back to, what, 2006? I thought he was a good... Uh, addition coming out of Boston College, but I think Aziz Ojolari has a, has a lot of potential, man. Yeah, you said it best. I mean, we raved, not we, but p- draft analysts raved about O'Shea's imminence when he came to the NFL and the fact that he had good hand usage, and that could translate right away. But ultimately, you need a combination of hand usage, bend, athleticism, strength, pop, like you mentioned, and Aziz has more of those traits than O'Shea ever had. In addition to why are people excited about a player like that? Why does that thing get people excited? Hand usage, the ability to have a move right away. Because you can combine, the, you can use that move to combine, to, 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 I shouldn't say combine, that's not the right word. You can use that one move you have to plan other moves, to ca- plan counters like you mentioned, or use that move to, you get the defense, you get the offensive lineman expecting one move and then you use, a complete, and then you flip it and you just do something completely different that they're not expecting. And basically you can use it to set up your whole pass rushing arsenal, I feel like. And I think that's something that he'll do immediately in the NFL. I think it could take him time to get a de- second move down as consistently as his first, but he can use it to bank off of a lot of other, or to, to help him grow in a lot of other ways as a pass rusher. I hope he develops a hump move, man. Yeah. The hump move is such a dominant move, and it's based off of winning that half-man relationship up the edge. If you do that consistently and stress offensive tackles, and they're going to keep trying to get up the arc and overcompensate for your speed and your ability to win that outside shoulder... Then if you incorporate a hump move, which is essentially you get to that half man, you stress the tackle, their feet get all jumbled up and they're kind of scrambling. And then you take your inside arm as a pass rusher and you violently club underneath the armpit 
of the the inside armpit of the tackle. You send his momentum flying up the arc, and then you just go inside. If you can incorporate that, he doesn't necessarily have the body. I mean, he's 240 pounds. He's he's not thick like a Reggie White. Yeah. But if he can get that, that would be really, really incredible. And guys like Carl Lawson, who will have similar builds, longer arms, who are shorter type of pass rushers, they've employed mm-hmm. that in the past to a uh, to pretty successful degree. So hopefully that can happen. Yeah, it could even help in some regard, like his height, in some height at least, because it can give him leverage in the in that regard. We'll see if that helps, because we've seen that work for other players. All right, you want to talk a little bit about Cam Brown. We're going to save Carter Coughlin, obviously. We can talk Cam Brown, Trent Harris, maybe. So Trent Harris, I don't think he's going to probably end up making the roster, so I'm not going to dive too deep into Trent Harris. He was one of the guys the Giants brought in last year, and then he ended up playing a couple games here and there, and then he ended up, I believe, getting injured. Cam Brown, he's more of a special teams guy. That's why he's going to make this roster, but he can fit in as a rotational guy. He plays with intense competitive toughness, hair on fire type of player, but incredibly high center of gravity. Doesn't really have pass rush moves. Doesn't really have pop. He just tries to use his length to his advantage, and I feel like he does that well. I think he was a solid little addition for a sixth round pick out of Penn State in terms of the the looping part of the stunts and the twists. He, he was somebody who was looping, you know, around the edge. He was somebody who was looping through the A-gap, and he was able to get a couple pressures in that manner. I, I don't expect him to see the defensive field too often unless there are injuries. And then uh, another player we should probably bring up is just Ryan Anderson, who I feel like is more of an early downs type of guy, somebody who can really set a violent edge and do well in that capacity, but not somebody who brings a lot of pass rushing juice to the table. Yeah, Anderson I thought would be a better pass rusher than he ultimately ended up being in the NFL at this point in his career. It might be too late for him to develop into anything more than what he is. As far as Cam Brown goes, when he was drafted just last year by the Giants, it was, there was a lot of mention about his athleticism. His length and just natural athleticism popped on film with Penn State, even if it didn't wasn't all put together at times. And I thought there were moments last year, specifically in the Seattle game, I remember, where he did flash a little bit of that athleticism, specifically when he was bursting off the edge. So I still think there is some untapped potential there. He's not exactly the size you want for an edge guy, classic edge guy. And at Penn State, obviously, played on the inside at times. He played in kind of like a, a lot of different roles there on that defense, which is also overhang very overhang well. a lot. Yeah. He was, It's a multiple defense, kind of like what Graham runs. So I can see why the Giants liked him out of Penn State. But I still think there's some athletic upside to be tapped into in some role in this defense, whether that be just an edge guy or potentially even in a weird some formation or some personnel groupings as an overhang potentially or that second inside linebacker in the box he could still be a defense he could still add something to this defense i think based on his athleticism only entering year two still just 23 years old yeah, i don't think that's unfair but the giants certainly upgraded a mm-hmm. lot of personnel around cam brown so hopefully you won't be seeing too much of him unless he takes those big jumps from year one to year two Yep. All right, we don't have any questions regarding the position from listeners, so let's wrap this up with a bold prediction from each of us about the edge group. So a bold prediction from me. Let's go with Aziz Ojolari is going to lead the team in pressures and sacks. Ah, you stole my thunder. Is that it? That's my exact thing. I think I'm going to go Aziz Ojolari double-digit sacks in year one. That's my bold prediction. I think it's going to start where in the first six to seven or eight games, he has just bunch sacks. So he'll have... 
two or three games where he has multiple sacks and then it to- the total gets up to around six six and a half seven range and then defenses have to start taking him a little more seriously but in that second half he becomes more of a consistent guy like won a game in five of his eight games and try and and ultimately i think he gets to that 10 11 range in year one and i want to preface and this could be the point of contention for you and me i think leonard williams will have more pressures than him so it's pressures within the edge group do you think Leonard Williams will still have more pressures than Aziz I think so because I think he's going to play a lot more snaps I think that would be the reason I think that at the beginning of the year the Giants are going to limit Ojalari snaps and he's going to play so well that they he will force his way onto the field Uh, in every down roll I hope that happens and I wonder I'm not certain if the Giants will have a double digit sack guy this year but they may have several guys with like eight to nine that makes like, sense yeah i'm going to z's for their double jit sack i really i feel good about it i love it he had nine sacks last year and just 193 pass rush snaps obviously it's college football but nine and 193 is insane yeah it's really solid all right anyway thanks to everybody again for listening to the big blue banter podcast as always if you want to support us head over to itunes leave us a rating and review you can also follow us on instagram my big blue banter and on youtube by typing in big blue banter looking for the logo and hitting that subscribe button otherwise have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.